Mississippi. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, and you're listening to a live broadcast of Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Yep, we're here for you, and today it's all about your skin. Lumps, bumps, itches, cosmetics, fungus, and a healthy skin. That's what we're all about today. And our very, very special guest, Dr. Nancy McGowan, dermatologist at UMC, is here to help me. So get your questions ready. Or give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Our lines are open, so give us a call, and we'll be right back after the news. an mpb think radio podcast mpbonline.org mpb think radio radio we're back i'm dr rick deshazo professor of medicine and pediatrics at umc and it is our privilege to be with you today at southern remedy our long running radio visit with you each Wednesday, uh, and more recently some TV programming, which we'll talk to you a little bit about later in the show. And uh, our only interest is in making you healthy. And today we have someone who is an expert in that area. We're going to be talking about skin health and skin problems. She's Dr. Nancy McGowan, who is professor of dermatology at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And like me, as a former military doctor, so I especially, we saluted each other as we came in today, uh, especially enjoy having her on the program. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, Rick. Thanks so much for coming back. Uh, people enjoy hearing you so much, and uh, I know that you guys are so busy that it, giving up a morning is a tough thing to do, so we really appreciate you coming out. And everybody has some kind of skin question um, and we're we're available to you if you have one at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email if you don't want to talk to us. Why would you not want to do that? We're at Southern Remedy at mpbonline dot org, and we always answer our emails. Sometimes it takes a week, but we usually get them out really quickly. So every time I turn on the TV, Dr. McGowan, there is somebody advertising this new skin rejuvenation program, and there must be 50 of them. And most recently, there are a bunch of uh, people calling themselves dermatologists. I guess they're dermatologists who are advertising these things. And it appears that there's you got to buy four or five different products to do this. And then there's another group that has this spray-on makeup stuff that um, – that you order and it makes you look like a movie star. And uh, my wife and I have been dialoguing about all these products and uh, she's confused. And unfortunately I'm confused. So uh, I hope sometime during the program today, you can give us a, a few guidelines on how to approach these things. Is it possible to, to take skin, the age of my skin and make it new? We can make it a little newer. <laughs> Um, I'd be happy to talk about just general skin care, and I'll share with you some of the things that I share with my patients when I get these questions. Um, I am not personally a believer in any kind of multi-step system, 
and don't really care so much about things like toners and masks, and I get a lot of questions about those. My answer to that is if you like the way they make your skin feel and if it's relaxing for you to do those sorts of things, by all means, go for it. But for me, a good skincare um, regimen would consist of a few very simple things. First would be your cleanser that you're cleansing your face with. I want that to be something mild that doesn't make your skin feel dry or uncomfortable after you've used it. Obviously, that's going to vary a little bit from individual to individual, depending on if your skin is normally dry, oily, where you fall in that spectrum. But the goal is the same, for the skin to feel comfortable when you're done washing it and not feel tight or dry. Um, I like a moisturizer, even for oily skin types, as I feel that if you use it regularly, it may help cut down somewhat on the oil production. And, of course, if that moisturizer has a sunscreen in it, all the better. As far as sunscreens and moisturizers or just sunscreens in general are concerned, I have two specifications. I would like it to be a minimum of an SPF 30, and I'd like your sunscreen to be broad spectrum. What that means is that it covers both UVA and UVB um, rays. There'll be some changes in sunscreen labeling, but right now this is current. Okay. So there you are, a three-step program, and you may want to ask some details. I know I do want to ask some, but I'm not going to ask them. I'm going to let you ask them by calling at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. The phone lines are wide open. you got a chance to get yourself in to talk to a dermatologist right now, so you better take advantage. And let's go to Grand Bay, Alabama. Hey, George. Hey, Dr. Rick, Dr. Nancy, how are you? We're doing great. Thank you for your call. Thank you, sir. As I, I'm 66, and as I get older, I'm developing liver spots. Question one is, how did they get there? And question two, are they dangerous? Okay, in answer to question one, how did they get there? It's the result of cumulative sun exposure over your lifetime, Um, These are very common. You're probably aware that they like to occur on the back of the hands, over the cheeks, temples, forehead, and we tend to also see them on the shoulders and chest. Now, a true liver spot or a lentigo, which is the scientific name we use for them, is not dangerous, although it is indicative of a certain degree of sun damage. There is, however, a form of melanoma that can look a little bit like a liver spot that would be something that's dangerous. In general, this is going to be a liver spot that is growing over time, that probably is larger than any of its fellows in the area, may have an irregular border, and usually will have a lot of variation in color in it. If such a liver spot were present, that would concern me. So most of us, like me, if you look at your hand, I know your skin is perfect, but mine isn't, uh, mostly because of rose gardening, uh, you have these brown spots all over your hand. And are you talking about those just little very they, there are various shapes and sizes little brown raised areas is that what a liver spot is that's what i tend to think of as a liver spot there's another lesion that's kind of closely related to a liver spot but i think of it as sort of the thicker cousin something called a seborrheic keratosis and a lot of folks like to refer to those as barnacles it's another time on the planet kind of thing um both show um a lot of color in the upper layers of the skin and with the seborrheic keratosis, it's much thicker than the liver spot, so a, a thicker thicker upper skin layer on that one. Right. So uh, is that a part of a natural scenario? It starts with a little one and gets bigger, or are those to- two totally different uh, pathologies there? We see something that I like to kind of jokingly call tweeners on pathology sometimes that looks like it's exactly halfway between a full-fledged seborrheic keratosis and a lenigo or liver spot. So there are some, obviously, that evolve from one form to another. 
So you're listening to dermatologist Dr. Nancy McGowan on Southern Remedy at MPB Think Radio. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring or one 672 7464 or you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Today it's all about dermatology and your chance to get your questions in about this topic. It's We're just delighted to have her here, and she is a general medical dermatologist. Uh, she's not selling any products, and she will give your her, give you an honest opinion on whatever's on your mind. So give us a call before we get overwhelmed with phone calls. Uh, so uh, how do you tell that you need to come to a dermatologist when you? I, I've heard you say before that we all ought to be looking at our skin regularly, right? Correct. And so yes. when you find some, what is something that is an alarm sign? Probably the biggest alarm sign would hark back to the melanoma that I was talking about when we mentioned liver spots. This would be a changing mole that is increasing in size. It might itch or bleed. It has some variation in color, um, a little asymmetry. One half of the mole doesn't look like the other half. You can compare top to bottom, side to side. And then, of course, color variation. And if you see more than three colors in a mole, that's pretty concerning, especially if you see red, white, blue shades of black and brown, that that would be worrisome. How much time do you have to get into the dermatologist? I know that most of you guys are booked up. If you see something like that, do you need to freak up and call the office, freak out and call the office and say, hey, I got this thing, I got to get it off immediately, or do you have a little bit of time there? I would call the office, and when you say the words changing mole to anybody in a dermatologist's office, you're going to get their attention pretty quickly. Good. All right. So that's not something you need to blow off. No, absolutely not. All right. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And let's go to Gulfport and Becky. Hey, Becky. Hey, you're it, Becky. Thank you. Um, I have a question about skincare regimens that are in dermatologist offices, the Obagi line and the rodent and fields. And, um, you know, Dr. Nancy stated that what she thought you needed. So why do dermatologists carry those regimens that are created by other dermatologists? Okay, that's a that's a fair question, and I actually uh, had discussed that with her um, earlier. And we 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 don't have anything uh, pejorative to say about anybody's uh, system as long as there's some evidence in the scientific literature behind it that shows it works. So when you talk to an academic dermatologist, Doctor Doctor McGowan, you're going to hear something that uh, you're not going to hear over the TV or radio. You're going to hear what the literature, what the science shows about the matter. That's the way we're trained, and all of us in medicine are trained to go with what the data are, the science of the thing, and that drives people nuts sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. And as I said, I'm I'm not a multi-step regimen person, but some people are. And dermatologists in their office, when they carry products, tend to carry products that they believe in. They may be things that they use themselves. In fact, we carry a few things in our office that I very firmly believe in and feel comfortable recommending to my patients. That's usually the situation that you're going to find. And there are a large number of people who like a program. And if they want a program, Obagi and Rodan and Fields do a nice job at that. So I don't know anything about either one of these people. I have no stock in either one. But if someone would like to send me some, I will take it. Um, the way my retirement plan looks, I'm going to be up here until I, they carry me out on a stretcher. Um, so anyway, um, 
you, you said that a three-step program, mm-hmm. you, you can get 50 steps, but there yeah. are three basic things you want to do okay. if you're for aging skin. Yeah, right? so we talked about cleansing and moisturizing and that the moisturizing step should include a sunscreen. Let's talk about the cleansing step first. That's number okay. one. That's number one. What do you need me. to clean your skin? Soap? I like a mild cleanser, and it can be a soap. It can be a soap-free cleanser if you're one of those persons with sensitive skin. And okay, so just give us some eczema. ideas of what that might be. As in brand names? Like Dove Soap? Dove Soap, the unscented variety. Uh-huh. Um, Cetaphil has a liquid soap-free cleanser. They also have a bar. There's a line of products, the namesake of which is called Vanny Cream, which is a um, sensitive skin program for people who have contact allergies. They have a very nice bar cleanser in that line. And if you mild. don't have money to go to dermatologists, that's something you can get over the counter. Absolutely. So number one, you need to clean your skin every day. And yes. we'll go to number two when we get back right after th- this break. What is number two? Moisturizing and sunscreen. Moisturizing. We'll hit moisturizing, and then we'll go to your call in Waynesboro and Hattiesburg, Right after this break, so stay tuned. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline dot org. talking about all things dermatology we're learning all kinds of stuff about how to have a healthy skin i'm dr rick deshazo you're listening to southern remedy at mpbonline.org our producer is a lovely and charming jenny wilburn formerly of cnn now much more famous with us and our special guest today is dermatologist nancy mcgowan so you were talking about before the break uh the three-step skin regimen that is a reasonable thing that regular people that don't have a whole bunch of skin problems ought to be doing with their skin. Correct. Uh, especially if they have aging skin issues. And the first step is a cleansing step where you use some some Dove soap or Vanna cream products, which are over-the-counter that are, are not sensitizing. You're not going to get allergic to them. And some other products like that. Exactly. And, and then the second step was moisturization. What is that? Correct. That is a way of trying to lock some water into your skin. And ideally, this would be done by applying the skin moisturizer of your choice over slightly damp skin. Most moisturizers, even those that are designed for oily skin, are going to have a little bit of an oil component in them. The idea being, of course, that as you know, oil and water don't mix. So if the water hits the skin first and then a thin layer of a product with oil goes on over the top, maybe it'll help hold some of that water in and moisturize the skin a little bit. And, of course, there's a multitude of products for different skin types out there. In general, I like folks to choose things that have a lesser number of ingredients because I do have concerns about allergies. And, again, your moisturizing step can include the sunscreen, as we mentioned previously, or those can be two separate steps where you layer a sunscreen over a moisturizer if that is your preference. So I guess Vanacream has a moisturizer. They do. Tell us some more. Vanacream has a light lotion if you're oily complected, and then there's the original Vanacream cream, which is a little more heavy-duty moisturizer. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, in general, also like Neutrogena products. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Almay sensitive skin products are super. And, of course, Cetaphil has a moisturizer. Again, both a lotion and a cream, so a lighter product and a heavier product. And there's one more step, and we'll get to step three after we take this call from John in Waynesboro. Hey, John. Hey, good morning. Thanks for your call. Um, Thanks for taking my uh, question, and my question is about thinning skin. Um, What can you do about that, or is there anything you can do about it? I'm 57 years old, and it's real easy to cut or tear my skin. And uh, is there any way to toughen it up, and is retinol, uh, I've heard that might be good for uh, toughening up your skin. Is there any way to do that? And if if it's okay, I'll take my uh, answer off the air. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, John. Yeah, there's a couple of things I like to rec- recommend, and we were going to get to the retinol step, which I kind of think is as number three in our skincare series. But um, using a retinol, whether it be a prescription agent or an over-the-counter agent, can be beneficial to the skin in a number of ways. Used consistently over time, you do get a little layer of new collagen production in the upper dermis, which is where you need it for that thinning skin. It can be very helpful. Also can help the dermis, the underneath layer of the skin where the padding and the cushion is a little bit. Um, If you're really worried about thin skin, for example, on your arms where you find that it is fragile and tears easily, especially on the forearm, another product can be very helpful. And this is an over-the-counter moisturizer. used to be a prescription agent. It is called Lachydrin. That is L-A-C-H-Y-D-R-I-N. There is a generic version of it also, Amlactin, A-M-L-A-C-T-I-N. These are both products that contain alpha-hydroxy acids. The concentration in this particular product is 12%, and most people can tolerate that on their skin as long as they don't actually have an eczema or a lot of injury. Now, so that's for that's for uh, aging skin where you bump the door and it takes your skin off. And... Exactly. What this does is it helps increase the hyaluronic acid in the dermis if you use it regularly, and that's twice a day over at least four to six months. And that's months. basically motor oil under that. It makes things move. Yeah, it's the, it's the cushion. It's essentially yeah. it's what absorbs that shock and helps keep the skin from tearing. Well, let's go back to the retinol. So step one is the cleansing. Step two is the moisturization. Retinol is a natural product, isn't it? Isn't Correct. It vitamin? Retinol is a vitamin A product, and that is readily um, available in a lot of the over-the-counter moisturizers and anti-wrinkle products. And then, of course, there are the retinoids, which are the engineered molecules that are available by prescription. All of these have fe- effects on the skin. Um, retinol in over-the-counter products, if you use it regularly, can be very helpful. And if you look at anti-aging products and they list the active ingredient as retinol, that would be something that would be worth trying. The only problem I have with that is they usually don't list the concentration, so you don't know from one product to another how much retinol you're going to get. The thing you do not want to use is retinaldehyde. That is not as active a form of vitamin A for the skin as retinol. So always go for the retinol as opposed to the retinaldehyde. So can you give us a couple of names of retinol products that you use as a third step if you're going to do it? Actually, retinol? probably my favorite is Neutrogena's um, Healthy Skin anti-wrinkle and there are a number of products in this line there's an am product if you choose to put it on in the morning that has a sunscreen in it there's a pm product that's a little bit more emollient for nighttime use and then there's the original product which is just the retinol cream without any sunscreen now some people need a stronger form of this and that needs to be controlled by dermatologists right because there's some some issues with that well, actually, yes. Um, the retinoids that I alluded to are the agents that are available by prescription. Any retinoid can cause a little bit of irritant dermatitis, and that's the thing that we watch for very carefully. Okay, so don't don't be experimenting with your uh, aunt's Chazerac stuff, retin and stuff retin-A, like that. Yeah. You can get in some deep stuff. Okay, let's go to Hattiesburg. Hey, Lonnie. 
Uh, hi, how are you? Uh, we're great, and we're we're excited about your call. What's your question? Yes, I happen to talk about uh, retinol, and I'm currently um, over a period of years I've struggled with my acne, and I finally got on Retin A uh, prescription, and it works wonders, especially under my eyes. So, my question is now the next step. I was wondering, I was kind of interested in whether um, will you recommend chemical pills? or microderm abrasion, and the next question is uh, about hair removal. Do you recommend electrolysis or laser removal? Um, and I'll just um, listen on air. We got those. Thanks. Those are good questions. So um, the retinol that we were talking about, and that's some of what she's been using, she's been using the prescription Retin-A product for acne, not for preventative. Exactly. Health. That's exactly. a different concentration, right? Well, there are several different concentrations, and depending on the skin type, you may be using those for um, different concentrations for various things. It's all in what that individual's skin will tolerate. Lonnie, um, I got the impression that you were still using Retin-A, and if your um, acne is clear and you were thinking about using chemical peels for acne, I don't know that they would add a lot to your treatment. The other thing I wanted to add for you is that if you are using Retin-A and you do decide to do a chemical peel, let's say you've got some dark spots that you want to work on with a chemical peel, you need to be sure that the person who is doing the peel for you knows that you are using Retin-A because the peel will take more strongly in a Retin-A user, and it's something you have to take great care with in order to avoid a chemical burn. We usually recommend that Retin-A users who are going to have peels discontinue their Retin-A product about 7 to 10 days ahead of the peel. So they can be used together. Um, but if your acne is well controlled by Retin-A, I don't know that you necessarily need a peel unless you want it for some other reason. So that's what Retinol and Retin-A and Retin, your mother's brother, <laughs> they they are peeling agents, right? They take off dead skin and let new skin come up. Is that how they work? Basically, they can help with exfoliation because they increase the turnover of the epidermis, the upper layer of living cells in the skin, and thus make it a little bit easier for that skin to be exfoliated. You don't need to mechanically exfoliate if you're using a retinoid product because that retinoid is doing it chemically for you, and you'll actually irritate the skin if you try and mechanically exfoliate. What about using, using these retinol products on pigmented skin? Is that Does that give you blotching and all that kind of stuff? Uh, usually not. My experience with it is that it helps to even out pigment. Sometimes I do use them in conjunction with a bleaching agent if we have um, really you know diverse um, shades of color that we need to lighten. All right. So you're, you're hearing all of this great information about uh, pigmented skin products and uh, acne, we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Brandon and Dot. Hey, Dot. Good morning. I have rosacea. Is a solution available for that condition? <laughs> Dot, there are a lot of treatments available for rosacea, but in terms of a solution that would cure the problem and make it go away permanently, no. It's a genetic condition, and unfortunately, we can't yet change our genetics. But we can certainly do some things to help you out with the rosacea. So rosacea is uh, the worst case scenario is a big red nose swollen up like uh, one of those uh, com- comics in the yeah, Laurel and Hardy thing. Yeah, so. that's called rhinophyma, and that's a condition that usually affects men who have rosacea. Fortunately, we don't see it that commonly in women. Right. But rosacea can present in all kinds of different ways. Uh, I've heard you talk about this and mm-hmm. can even be involve your eye and your face. And tell exactly. us a little bit more about it. So lots of different forms of rosacea, probably one of the most common forms of rosacea, and a lot of people have this and don't even realize um, they're affected with it, is type 1 rosacea. 
It's a tongue twister. It's called erythrotelangiectatic rosacea or ET rosacea. This is just redness of the central face. You may flush or blush a little bit with exposure to caffeine or alcohol, but you don't tend to break out and get the nasal swelling that Dr. DeShazo was talking about. The next form would be the papulopustular form where you have acne-like breakouts sort of superimposed on that central face redness. And then there are types where you get enlargement of the oil-secreting glands, more of a sebaceous hyperplasia that can evolve into that rhinophyma, that big swollen red nose that we associate. Okay, none of us want to look freaky. What, what do you do for this? A number of things. Depending on the type of rosacea, the treatment may vary. It might include a retinoid. Usually it's going to include an antibiotic more for an anti-inflammatory effect than because it's an antibiotic. And um, laser therapy can be very, very helpful with the background redness and the ET type laser. So I always tell, the, uh, as a generalist, I always tell people that have uh, significant rosacea to get at least one consultation with a dermatologist to make sure the diagnosis is correct and that they get some instruction on what they should and should not do to start with. Now, the ones with really bad problems, I don't take care of those. I let the dermatologist take care of them. But the ones with sort of routine problems, I usually get the consult back from the dermatologist. He or she tells me what general things to do and when I need to send them back. Is that is that sort of the routine you all like to do, or how does that work? That sounds absolutely perfect to me because most rosacea is pretty simple and uncomplicated and generally is going to respond to therapy. One plug I would like to make here, though, is remember that this is a genetic condition. And if you're doing well with your rosacea treatment, don't stop it. It's working. If it's controlling the disease process, you keep using it because you can flare if you discontinue the medication, and then the rosacea gets harder to get under control. Okay, let's go to Ann and Jackson. Ann, we got about one minute. What's your question? Yes, uh, I was wondering uh, what the doctor think about skin tag removers that's being advertised on uh, TV, and also what's a good way to avoid or to deal with dark spots that the nose bridge has caused. Right. Uh, I think I'm sunburned. Right, I got you. Get rid of that. All right, so two questions. One, skin tags. Let's get that before the break. We'll be right back, by the way, after this break, and we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or one eight seven seven mpb ring What about skin tags? Um, I think she's alluding to the advertisements that have um, sort of promulgated on television recently about tag-away. Um, I'm not familiar with the product, but I am familiar with several patients who used it and had persistent irritation in the spots that they treated, um, which tends to um, somewhat flavor my opinion of the product. Um, your dermatologist or general physician can help you with skin tags that are irritating and probably do it in such a way as not to cause a lot of inflammation. Uh, y'all usually just cut them off, right? Exactly. And, exactly. and they don't come back as much. And... Well, the, you know, anywhere that skin rubs on skin or clothing rubs on skin, they're going to have a tendency to form. Okay, we'll be right back after this break to talk about your tag, my tag, their tag, and any kind of dermatological problem. Hang in there with us. We're at one 672 and we're taking your call.
MPB Think Radio podcast. mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, also known as Dr. Rick. Jiving and boogieing here with a very, very well-known dermatologist, Dr. Nancy. And Dr. Nancy uh, basically started our dermatology program, the rejuvenation of it at UMC, Dr. Nancy McGowan. And now that's growing, and she is going to be the program director for our new dermatology training program. And we're actually going to have enough dermatologists eventually, if we all live long enough, to take care of all our folks in Mississippi. And we're that's such a blessing that you came in to do that. And we'll actually train our own Mississippi dermatologists. We Hooray. are so excited. Hooray. <laughs> yes. And it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't been here. So we're, we're, we're really grateful to you. Thank you. Now, uh, you, we have Facebook fans, and, and y'all need to like us on Facebook. And the Facebook fans keep me honest. They're, they're tracking everything I said. And I, I missed the second part of one of the questions that were uh, asked. So let's clean up the rest of the thing about skin tags and then talk about hair removal before we go back to the phones. And we'll get to you right now. We're, we're on the way. Um, so what else did you have about skin tags? Um, looked up tag away because I was kind of curious about the active ingredient. And it looks like it is um, primarily a botanical oil, um, which, as I pointed out earlier, kind of causes an irritant reaction. Um, there would be some risk of contact allergic dermatitis, and Dr. Rick believes he's seen that with Tagaway. So we would urge caution if you elect to use that product to be aware that those are possibilities. Yeah, so if you got a lot of them, uh, most people have multiple ones. Now, now, let me ask you about this. I know guys who cut them off with their shaver, with their blade shaver. Is that a good idea? <laughs> they are braver than I. Yeah. Um, it's painful and the areas are going to bleed. And of course, we worry with any injury of the skin about the possibility of getting infection afterwards. So if you do that, staunch the bleeding and keep a little antibiotic ointment of your choice on it as it heals, just as you would for any other skin injury. Whatever you're not allergic to, be it polysporin, neosporin, bacitracin, as long as you don't have a problem with those products, that's what I would recommend you keep on there as it heals. But I've heard you say you don't cut off other kinds of lesions yourself, like seborrheic keratosis or liver spots, you don't amputate those yourself because those might be a melanoma or skin cancer, and you can make them grow underneath the skin and get in big trouble. Am I off or on on that? Um, if I suspect that something is a melanoma, I'm usually going to sample it and find out. Um, so, so we shouldn't be cutting things off ourselves. Oh, absolutely not. No, you just you just never know what it is that you removed and make it difficult for me to tell when you come back later because there's a problem. Absolutely. So, you know, self-amputation is probably not a good idea. Don't do that. Hey, Hannah and Clinton, how are you? Fine, thank you, and thank you for taking my call. Good to hear from I just, you. I just wanted to follow up uh, about the age spots uh, and ask if there's a... a a way to fade those? Um, yes, Hannah, there are several ways of, of doing that. Um, the bleaching creams can be helpful with that. Sometimes we resort to laser if bleaching creams don't work. Also, um, treating them sometimes with liquid nitrogen will lift the color out of them. But whenever you try and fade an age spot, the thing that is absolutely imperative is sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen at all times because they will return if they're allowed to get much ultraviolet light on them. Hair removal. 
Yes. Um, I believe our caller was, was querying um, hair removal for African-Americans, um, and it was the question was electrolysis versus laser. Um, both methods can be effective with electrolysis. I think a lot depends on your technician, so you're going to want to use someone who's pretty experienced. Um, laser hair removal is available for African-American patients. It does require certain special wavelengths and techniques so as to avoid injury to the skin while treating the hair, and it will take more treatments in an African-American than it would in a Caucasian person, but it certainly can be done. Why can't you just pull one out a day every day and get rid of them that way? They grow back. Oh, they do? <laughs> so that doesn't permanently get rid of them? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> Does laser get rid of them? Laser, we call it a reduction. Certainly there are hair follicles that are reduced um, to scar down, and in that situation it's permanent, but there will be over time with laser usually a few hairs that grow back and you simply go have an additional treatment aimed at those so jerking them out yourself is also another thing that could get an infection in your skin and you really we we're not really just regular people off the street probably shouldn't be doing that do you think i don't think it's a good idea the problem i see with that too is the development of ingrown hairs and then there's inflammation you can get hyperpigmentation in that area um, it really becomes a bit of an issue for folks who pluck, especially if it's a thick, coarse hair with a little curl to it. So there's a whole different um, set of things you need to know about pigmented skin versus non-pigmented skin and and ethnic. There's an ethnic part of dermatology, especially Absolutely. in African-Americans whose uh, hairs in their skin tend to turn under and grow back over because they're curly and can cause a lot of inflammation. And I know you, yes. you teach that. I've heard. Yes, absolutely. That. And a number of conditions related to that that are common in the beard area and the back of the neck so um, we'll, that we treat regularly. So we'll talk about your skin and their skin. If you give us a call, we're at one eight seven seven mpb ring And let's go to Saltillo. Hey, Faye. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a problem on my forehead. Now, I have, I think you're calling it tags, the little tiny warts, I call them, that break out on my neck and my shoulders. But what concerns me is the little tiny, I can feel them and I can't hardly see them, but they're all across my forehead. Okay. Faye, um, there are a number. You know what I'm talking about? Well, there, there are a number of things that can present that way, Faye, but if they're tiny and you're feeling them better than you're seeing them, the two things that that um, I would think of immediately would be seborrheic keratosis, which is the barnacle that we um, talked about. They can be all different colors, and they can blend right in with your skin. Another common thing in the forehead is something called sebaceous hyperplasia, where you get just a benign enlargement of a normal oil-secreting gland around a follicle, and it can make a little bump that slowly grows. So it could be, you know, those two things or any number of other possibilities, but those would be the two most common, and they are treatable if they're bothersome to you. And the treatment is different, so yeah, this for each, is probably for each. it would be mm-hmm. worth having somebody take a look at it. it, or could you try something yourself? What would you do? There's nothing that I would recommend that would sort of universally take care of both of those things that's available over the counter. Because they're different. That's something a physician would need to deal yeah. with and discuss options. One of them is a hyperkeratotic sun, sun damage product and a problem, and another one is a too much grease in your glands problem. Is that yeah. That's a that's a that would be a short concise summary. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I'm from Alabama. I get down to the rock hard part really quick. Let's go to Shelley in Jackson. Hey, Shelley. Good morning. How are y'all? We're doing great, and we're excited about your question. What is it? Thank you. You've kind of touched on this already. Um, I have polycystic ovary syndrome, and as part of that, I have a lot of facial hair, particularly on my chin and neck, and. 
Um, I have looked into laser removal. Don't really feel like that's something I can afford right now. So I pluck it, and then I get massive um, breakouts. My skin gets really irritated. It's this cycle I'm stuck in, and I can spend 20 minutes plucking and two days later have a chin full of hair. And I'm, I'm very... Um, very self-conscious of it. So I'm wondering, are there any other options besides something like laser removal that I can explore? That's a great question. And, you know, uh, uh, Nancy, uh, the... Derma, a lot of people have financial issues. In dermatology, you're supposed to pay. Y'all frequently don't accept insurance, or I know that we do at UMC, but mm-hmm. a lot of dermatologists don't. Yeah. And that turns a lot of people off. And I have told people in my practice, when they call the dermatologist, if they don't have the money up front to ask to speak to the financial person work out some kind of financial plan where they can get the care that they want. And most dermatologists will work with folks who don't have a lot of cash and like our caller mm-hmm. are really having some problems that need to be tended to. Yeah. But we're afraid to ask them. Yeah, absolutely. And Patsy, so you've already learned that plucking for you is not a good idea. And that would also take out um, other possibilities for hair removal, like waxing or threading. So that leaves you basically with laser hair removal and either shaving or clipping the hair. Now, a lot of women will shy away from shaving the hair on the face because there's kind of an old wives' tale out there that it makes the hairs more numerous. Um, indeed, it doesn't. You're born with all the hair follicles you're ever going to have, and when you shave, you do transect the hair at its thickest point so it doesn't have that fine tapered end, and as it grows out, you may feel that it looks thicker, but it's really not. Um, if you have hair that's curly and has a tendency to get ingrown, the recommendation is to try and clip to a length of about one-eighth to one-quarter of an inch to prevent that from happening. Needless to say, that's probably unacceptable for a lot of women. Electrolysis would be an option for you, but there is also some risk of ingrown hairs with that. And then there's a product, a cream, that some women use on the face that's available by um, prescription called Vanica. Um, It's applied in a thin layer twice a day to the area where you don't like the hair, and it slows down the hair growth and reduces the diameter of the hair, although sometimes when you initially start using it, you may have a tendency to have a few more ingrown hairs until you get accustomed to it. Okay, so let's let's go back and revisit that because there are a lot of people with that issue, and you covered it beautifully, but I want to make sure everybody got it. Um, if you have hair on your chin and you're a woman you, and you don't want it there, uh, you may or may not get away with plucking it out. Correct. But if you don't get away with plucking it out, then it probably needs to be shaved. And the the in order to get it short enough, you actually need to use a straight razor, which most women will not do because it cuts them. That, that's the point about how short it has to be, right? Exactly. Well, one quarter to one eighth of an inch. And with clippers, you can actually put a guard on there that will set to that length. And that makes it pretty easy to use those if, if you're afraid of a razor. You know, the razor is going to shave it right at the skin. And if you've got a tendency for ingrown hairs... That isn't going to help. Now, what about an electric shaver for a woman? Is, would that work on chin hair for women? Sure it would. Sure it would. And again, you want to be sure that you're setting it so that you don't cut the hair too short and lead to that problem with ingrown hairs. Okay, so an electric shaver might be better actually than a blade shaver for that problem for a woman. I, I well, it, depend, it depends on the individual and how comfortable they are with the blade shaver. Okay. So you, you could try either one. And, Absolutely. And they have ladies shavers now that are mm-hmm. – uh, purple and colorful and pink and, and, pink and all those <laughs> kinds of things and so that might be something she could try yep. but if she has curly hair then mm-hmm. that's probably she's going to need something 
see a dermatologist. Yeah, because she's got, she's got that tendency for ingrown hair that unfortunately is just inherent in that hair type. Okay. So I think we've got we we've gotten most of those questions uh, cleared up, and we're going to go to Mobile and Madison and Vicksburg and talk about acne and about various types of dry lips and peels and cracks right after this break, and we'll take your call. We have our email lines are open, and we have uh, our phone lines at one eight seven seven MPB ring or one eight seven seven six. 727464. Email is at org. We'll be right back to take your question after this break. Welcome back through our Olympic trip through the skin problems of the universe. I'm Dr. Rick, and I'm here with with our dermatologist, Dr. Nancy McGowan, who is helping us figure out what to do for what itches and scratches and peels and so forth. And Dr. McGowan mentioned that that we're going to be having a dermatology training program. That means people who finish their medical school and so forth will have an opportunity to train to be dermatologists here in Mississippi, and that will open up a lot more dermatologists coming in to take care of our folks and also some clinics that will be available to folks that, that have trouble getting in. So that's great. We have too few dermatologists. The dermatologists in Mississippi that are available are good, but they're booked up, and uh, you need to call them and get on the list if you have one of these problems. And if you need a consultation at UMC, you can get that through our usual consultation numbers, one eight 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 one five two zero zero five, and we'll try to get those problems sorted out. Let's go to Kay in Vicksburg. Hey, Kay. Hi, good morning. Good to hear from you. Thank you. What's your question? My question is I have very dry, sore lips. Um, I've been to a rheumatologist to rule out Sjogren's because my mother had that. And uh, the rheumatologist seems to think it's all my blood pressure medicines. There are probably a number of other things, Kay, that could also cause sore, dry lips. I know there's some blood pressure medicines that can certainly dry your mouth out, but if it's affecting just your lips, we could think about contact dermatitis and yeast infections. There's a number of things that can do that. So it sounds like it would be worthwhile visiting a dermatologist and seeing if they have anything to add that would be useful to you. So, uh, in general, uh, dry lips, like dry eyes, which we visited last week, uh, are a new epidemic related to ceiling fans. We're, we're seeing people with dry eyes like crazy that run those ceiling fans and dry mouth and uh, dry lips. 
and because uh, we're all we like that mm, it's so sedating and it drowns out all that beeper and button and all that stuff we've got lights all in our bedroom everything to keep us awake so some people are hypnotizing them to sleep with these uh ceiling fans i'm one of them and uh it dries <laughs> you out so what are what are some nice over-the-counter moisturizers uh for uh for lip lip balms is they that bee wax stuff is expensive and then uh, i like the one with the the yellow top and the uh, white bottom and then there's blistex <laughs> and all those different ones uh what what do you look for when you're looking for a moisturizer for your lips well we're back to that oil and water thing you know you got to moisturize with water and then you've got to use a little oil to help keep it in and in someone like Kay, where we don't know what's causing her problem and we may need to be concerned about a contact dermatitis to a lip balm or something like that, I would just recommend plain old Vaseline petroleum jelly until it's until it's sorted because that usually tends to be inert and very inoffensive, can be applied multiple times over the course of a day and be very comfortable. Can you get allergic to your lipstick? You certainly can. You're usually allergic to an ingredient in the lipstick, often a paraben because there's lots of waxes and lipsticks to give them staying power. So parabens are preservatives that put in all sorts of pharmaceuticals, and Mm -hmm. they are sensitizing. Exactly. And even though you've been using one for 20 years – all of a sudden, something can happen and turn this on, right? Yeah, exactly. It's you know, it's, it's it's like I explained to patients: you're never allergic to penicillin the first time you take it, but anywhere from the second to the hundredth time is when you're likely to have the problem if you develop an allergy. So just because you've used it for years and not had an issue, doesn't mean it isn't a problem now. And if you've got little things in the angles of your mouth, then that's the fungal thing you were talking about. Exactly. Right? You can get a little yeast infection in the corner of the mouth that responds really nicely to antifungal cream. A lot of people put it in there at nighttime preventatively, and that seems to work. So well. the point is there are five or six different things that can cause this kind of problem, and the simplest way is not to experiment with it, to have somebody look at it and figure out what it is the first time and get rid of it. Uh, but if you're going to experiment, you're not going to get in trouble with a moisturizer like Vaseline, Vaseline. or your favorite. Uh, aquaphor. Yes, aquaphor, which is Vaseline, mineral oil, and water yeah. whipped, to get, whipped together. Very inert. I call it high class Vaseline petroleum jelly, but that's just <laughs> me. We're at 1 877 MPB ring. That's 1 877 672 And we're also available at Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org. We're talking to dermatologist and professor of dermatology, uh, Dr. Nancy McGowan, today. Let's go to Mobile and Lonnie. Hey, hey, uh, Lonnie. Or is it Lori? Lori? Lori, how do you do? Hi. Well, how are you? Are you doing there? good? Mobile's a great place. What's happening? Oh, thank you. Um, I have a couple of things. One, I have adult acne, and I used Proactive for a long time, and that was working. And ran out, and I've been using Utter Cream on my hands. And while I was out, I started using the Utter, out of the Proactive, I started using the Utter Cream on my face. And that works every bit as well as um, the proactive, but it's much less expensive. And then my, my question also is, um, as I start to approach menopause, I'm curious how that will affect my acne for better or for worse. Okay. Good questions. <laughs> uh, Lori, as far as the menopause um, question, it's one of those things that can go either way. Um, you know, we see women having acne into their 50s and 60s, so clearly postmenopausal women can continue to have acne. It's going to be kind of a wait-and-see sort of thing. It may get better. It may persist, um, and there's not really a good way to predict that for you. I've had a lot of people using Utter Cream for lots of different things. It's uh, 
the People's Pharmacy uh, was sponsored by that, and uh, it's a lanolin creamy product. It does mm-hmm. I think it does have some paraben in it. Uh, it's a moisturizer type yeah. thing. Yeah, moisturizers usually don't work on acne, so that was sort of puzzled. Well, yeah, it puzzles me, too, because utter cream is going to tend to be a greasier, heavier product. And in general, those kind of products are not, and this is my favorite word for a product for your face that isn't going to cause or aggravate acne, and that is non-comedogenic, okay, spelled just like it sounds, non-comedogenic. And what that means is the product won't clog your pores, won't make your acne worse, and I usually don't think of utter cream as falling into that category. Yeah, so I was surprised. I wonder if she's got something else going on. Yeah, yeah. You might want to check that out since menopause is on the way before that. Does that affect your uh, your acne if you've got it that much? It gets better, doesn't it? For some people, for some people it persists. Yeah, I'm certainly postmenopausal and still have acne, so. <laughs> you don't look it, my dear. You That's look like I, a chickadee to me. I use my acne medicine every day. <laughs> and you use that three-step regimen, cleansing, moisturization, and some kind of retinol product. See, I learned it. Let's go to Patsy. Hey, Patsy. Patsy, you still there? Patsy, I think, is asleep at the wheel. Let's go to Catchy and Madison. Hey, Catchy. Hello. Did I misspell mispronounce your name? Is it's Kathy. Oh, oh, it's Kathy. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. It was misspelled on my screen here. Many apologies. Right. What's your question? I want to know what journals the doctor would recommend that um, I want to use products that are scientifically based, and where can I read those kind of um, studies? Um, they're going to be throughout the dermatologic literature, depending on where the person who did the study chooses to publish them. Probably some of the premier dermatologic literature would be the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology, um, the one put out by the American Medical Association, the British Journal of Dermatology, Pediatric Dermatology. And then there's a journal called Investigative Dermatology, which is strictly related to research, although there's not usually a lot in there about cosmeceuticals per se. Um, the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology and Derm Surgery are two other places. Well, wow, that's a lot of stuff. Look. But I know you mm-hmm. have a great website on your professional website don't you absolutely the face and skin center is um, part of the university's website and then another place that you can go if you want to read a little bit more about that would be on the american academy of dermatology's website there is a section of that that is for the public and that talks about skin conditions and that there's useful information there as well so there are lots of resources and if you don't know where to go drop us an email and we'll send you some more information and if you called in today with a question on something other than the skin, we will answer your email uh, and get that sorted out for you. We really appreciate having Dr. McGowan here with us. It's We always get a lot of calls when we talk about the skin, and, and I always learn a lot when you come. So thanks so much for being with us. This program is produced by Jenny Wilburn and supported by an unrestricted grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We'll be back the same place at the same time next week taking your calls. So thanks for listening.